So we are living in the time of a new wave of anti-Semitism. We know that. Um, and it's not getting addressed. It's uh, You can have a tremendous amount of attention drawn to a George Floyd situation, which had, as it turns, turns out, nothing to do with race, uh, but perhaps uh, excessive police force. And the whole world goes on fire, literally, figuratively, you name it. Um, and Jews get beaten to a pulp in New York City or Los Angeles, for that matter, or anywhere nearby, and the world is silent. Of course it is. Now, <clears throat> there, there's, there are two reasons for that. One is you could say, well, that's inherent anti-Semitism. There you go. Um, I, I think that's not necessarily the case. I think it's because people don't care about anti-Semitism. They perceive it to be uh, an issue of uh, insignificance when compared to the much greater problem of, of uh, racism in their eyes, right? Never mind that racism virtually doesn't exist. I, I, I put it to you. Except for anti-Semitism, which is also racism. Just like throwing that out there. Right, okay. You know? So, I, But I put it to you that there is probably far more greater incidences of anti-Semitism than there are of racism, whether there are attacks or um, biases uh, being exhibited by way of job uh, issues or whatever. I put it to you that that is the case. And from a percentage point of view, it's far greater because we Jews are only, in, in America, I think a total of uh, 2 million Jews, something like that, maybe 3 million. Uh, whereas compared to the black population, which is anywhere, depending on, on how you define black, uh, between 11 and 13% of the population, which is, you know, it's great. 30 million people. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, so literally about anywhere between 9 and 10, uh, nine and ten times the amount of people uh, that are are um, are Jewish, right? So, that's that's an interesting development. I mean, just very, just kind of keep that in, in mind. Uh, so the sheer numbers are greater, and the percentage is way above in terms of anti-Semitism. The question is why? Why is it that we ignore anti-Semitism uh, while giving undue and literally undue an oversized outrage when it comes to uh, the perception of racism, whether it's actually happening or not. And you're including in that the hoaxes, like a noose that yes. turns into a garage pole or an another <clears throat> noose at an Amazon warehouse that's uh, probably just a marker from the architects to hang a light fixture. Right, or yeah, yeah. They, they take great meaning of, of these things and decide that they're nooses and, the, and they decide all the motivation behind it as well. Yeah, we've gone from reading tea leaves to reading the, the threads of knots. Right, yes. And ropes. Yeah, and, and the burden of proof is suddenly on you to, 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 to show that it's not racist. Anyway, I, I don't want to delve too much into that, Ari. The, the point is that it's this bizarre, uh, you know, what is it, opportunist racism. Let's put it that way. Yes. That's, that's what we're looking at these days. That there's the, the racism aspect of it is opportunistic. Uh, how can we manipulate this situation uh, to show that there's racism, to suggest that there's racism, and to uh, profit from it one way or the other. Now, it doesn't have to be from a money point of view, but it can be from a media attention point of view and for, from a ratings point of view. It doesn't matter. So what, why is it that uh, anti-Semitism seems to be going under the radar when compared to racism? And the, and the anti-Semitism is very real. Uh, make no mistake of it. So... I put it to you that the reason is twofold. One is what we already discussed before, that, that Jews are a much smaller portion 
of this country. If we were, in fact, 10 to 12 percent of the population uh, or anything close to it, um, we would be a force to be reckoned with much more so than we are. Um, so let's put it this way. Uh, you know, when was the last time you, say, you said you gypped somebody, right? Uh, four days ago, actually. Yeah, probably. Yeah, you, yeah, I got gypped. Okay, yeah. well, that, that word, that verb comes from the word gypsy, right? And gypsies, uh, you're saying that you're acting like a gypsy, a gypsy and uh, you cheated him in the same way that a gypsy might cheat somebody, okay? Well, guess what? There are gypsies in the world, <clears throat> and they might be very well offended. Problem for them is they comprise maybe 0.3% of the population, okay? Maybe, maybe, probably far less. And because of that, there's not much of a voice, you know, clamoring for their protection. <clears throat> and I'm not saying that we should protect them or not. If, they, if their whole culture is based upon stealing and cheating people, well, then maybe, maybe that's an apt word, right? But nevertheless, they are tiny, tiny portions. So nobody's really getting into it. Now, you might say, wait a minute, Barack, you know, that, you, you talk all the time about how the transgenders are so, such a small portion of society. We can talk about that another time. They're being used. Um, it's just a leverage point. That, that's the main reason. And if Jews uh, provided the same convenient power politics leverage point, you can bet that anti-Semitism would be used in the same way. Yeah. So uh, that, that's right. Now, he, here's the point. We're a much smaller portion of society. We don't matter as much. So that, for that alone, that, that explains a good deal of why anti-Semitism is under the table. Here's another reason. We Jews do not riot in the streets. We don't? Nope. We, if, if we see an anti-Semitic attack uh, and let's say the police somehow beat up an Orthodox Jew or arrested him inappropriately or whatever, did the exact same thing. Let, let's pretend that the George Floyd incident happened exactly the way it did with the kneeling for the exact same amount of time and uh, what's his name, Chauvin, looking at the camera the same way and, and everything else. In fact, it was the same date in the same city, except that Instead of George Floyd, it was an Orthodox Jew, okay? And <clears throat> would, would, they, would the world, you know, go on fire for this, this uh, Orthodox Jew? Hold, hold on. Uh, the answer is, is transparently uh, not. I, I, I think it's a great analogy, but, and you make great analogies. You're famous for that. But I would uh, posit to you, you don't even need to. We have, uh, last week, uh, a group of Palestinian supporters attacked a group of Jews on the streets of New York. A Jew from New York fought back, was the one arrested. Yeah, no a- riot. Uh, last year, Jews <clears throat> had their institutions, schools, synagogues, parties shut down violently by the police, had their parks changed shut, and faced total oppression. We were following this last year during the COVID craze. And now the Orthodox riot- uh, rioted. So we don't even need to make the Chauvin, if he was Jewish, analogy. We have the apples to apples analogy in actual examples. And there wasn't one orthodox, you know, riot. It's, it's, it, that, that's the way it works, and, and it's uh, tragically so. And so I think part of the reason why is that we know, that the police know and everyone else knows that the Jews will not riot in the streets, certainly not the way uh, that they did for George Floyd, uh, even though that had nothing to do with racism. Okay, so um, the point is, it's not going to happen. So 
uh, the media doesn't, there's no outrage. It's not the same kind of outrage. I mean, there is, there's academic outrage. There's, there's a let's discuss this sort of outrage. This isn't fair sort of outrage. But they, no one has to worry about looting of the stores or breaking um, or, or smashing of stores and uh, demands for taking down statues and, right. and everything else. Acts of mass arson by Hasidim tearing down statues of Martin Luther King and Jackie Robinson. Right. It just won't happen. So because of that, um, that's that's another big factor. Now, now here's another sense. Well, can uh, I make one point before you? Say well, wait. I, I, I got to go to the third point. Okay. The third point is that uh, there's this sense that Jews are doing just fine in America. In fact, they're doing more than fine. In fact, they may be the oppressors. You know, yeah, they they may be controlling. The whole world, for that matter. Yeah, uh, and the, fi- the, the banks, the diamonds. Exactly yeah. right. Everything else is... No, it's, it's false, of course. It's a vicious, uh, you know... A it's a ca- slur. Calumny, a libel, yeah. a defamation, uh, you know, a slander. But other than that, you know, you know th- th- that's the sense that, that Jews are doing fine. And therefore, they're not the oppressed. And uh, we don't have to worry about them. Right. It's an amazing mm-hmm. thing you just brought up because you're, say, you're saying that, and this is true, that they bring up the slurs, the tropes, the anti-Semitic uh, 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 bigotry against us as an excuse for not defending us against the anti-Semitic attack. That's exactly it's amazing. Right. Yeah. It's a, so, so now, look, emblematically, um, we want to you know, see, for example, this recent... Uh, conflict with uh, this war with Hamas in in uh, Gaza, so it's such a classic story. It's exactly it's a much bigger example of this. They shoot off twenty five thousand rockets at Israel. Israel defends itself by the Iron Dome, of course, which is a big shield. It's really it's an amazing uh, piece of technology, and they also go into Gaza to fight back. And Israel's the one that is considered the oppressor, right? So the same thing, like you just said, in that uh, rally and this, uh, some violence, there was a kerfuffle between Israeli or actually Jewish protesters in New York and Palestinian protesters in New York, and the Palestinians are clearly uh, violent in the process, try to beat up people. And they arrest the Jew who merely says something like, Am Israel Chai, which is, we are one nation, we are, we are Israel. The, the state of Israel lives. Uh, and that, because, because he was the victim, he gets arrested. Why? Because the police know that they don't have to deal with him. They don't have to worry about a huge riot. If they arrested the Palestinian, who, who did far more violence, in fact, did all the violence, then you would have a very different game. Yeah, no, let's clarify. When you say the arrest of the Palestinian, he's not a Palestinian. He's a Palestinian side supporter. Well, he could be any number of backgrounds. He's a leftist. But the, your, the point is the same. You know there will be a leftist riot in the wake, and the leftist riot in the wake will then be dealt with by the police with kid gloves. Uh, the point I wanted to make a few minutes ago when you were talking about the prospect of Jewish uh, Orthodox rioting and how it doesn't happen, I also want to make the point that because we know how this goes, if, and this is an if, not a reality, but if uh, there was a riot by the Orthodox with the subsequent looting and arson that you see BLM and Antifa do, the police would, of course, clamp down so hard they'd be shooting them, okay, you know, yeah. and, and then the media will report that as needing to happen, you know, so right. that's, the, that's among the double standards we're dealing with here. Okay, so I want to move on to another point. And that's uh, that, that there has been a lot of interesting developments. I mean, one is, as you know, I, I 
was one of the leaders of this recent rally in Beverly Hills, um, and I spoke there on behalf of Israel uh, against Hamas and how we will always stand up for ourselves. And it was, you know, it was very meaningful. I think we had easily 2,000 people there. It was a huge crowd, uh, better than anyone ever expected. So there were about 10 other, 10 people total speaking, maybe, what am I saying? About eight people speaking. Um, they had the former Ms. Iraq speaking. They had Will Witt speaking. Uh, I, I arranged it for a couple of these speakers. We also had, um, we also had, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Sam Yebri. He's a, he's a great guy. He's going to be uh, working very um, very closely with us uh, in the city council. Even though he's a Democrat, he's a good guy. Uh, nevertheless, uh, and then of course, you know, there was my speech, and I was the one who introduced Dennis Prager. And Dennis Prager, of course, knocked it out of the park. He was fantastic. Such an interesting uh, um, day, uh, and there's a lot of passion, a lot of energy. But what was interesting to us all, and this kind of relates to the point we previously brought, was that there had to be so much security. Uh, The notion that a pro-Palestinian rally would have to have anything close to this kind of security uh, is laughable. They wouldn't. Uh, In fact, to the extent they did have security, it would only be to protect business owners and otherwise from attacks from the Palestinian sympathizers. That's, that's what they would have to worry about. Not, not from Israelis or Jews somehow attacking the Palestinians. That, that they, they know they don't have to worry about. So not only that, Ari, but the rally was in Beverly Hills and literally was the only place we could do so in at least the Los Angeles area because Beverly Hills has, it, it, it's its own city, has its own police, it has its own helicopters, everything else. And it's just much more attuned with the realities of the day. There was no defund, of, defund the police movement, for example, in yeah, Beverly they Hills. Like, they like their law and order there. Yeah, they, and they need the law and order. There's a lot of wealth there, of course, as, as everyone knows. But nevertheless, uh, people were very uh, adamant about having security there. And that was the only place we could do it. If we did it in Santa Monica, good luck. If we did it even in Brentwood, good luck. Anywhere in Los Angeles we would have to really worry about whether there would be enough police. I, I think the police that would be there would be very sympathetic with the Israelis. Um, and, and by the way, I spoke a lot to the police, uh, the security police force uh, in, in Beverly Hills who were helping us, and they were all very pro-Israel. Like, and and I, I asked them directly, would you even imagine having to have this level of security if this were a pro-Palestinian crowd? And they, they all said, no, of course not. We wouldn't have to do it. We, it's only because we're defending you from attack from these, these uh, jerks, the Palestinians. The Palestinian supporters, the Palestinians themselves are not all jerks, right? But I'm talking about Hamas supporters, uh, terrorist supporters. BLM, Antifa, yeah. you know, the, all, the forces of uh, aggregate leftism that roam That's the streets right. of Los Angeles. There you go. So See, sometimes I do help. Sometimes you help. Yes, Rarely, yes, yeah. <laughs> so he's a good guy. He means so well. But, you know, sometimes you're not here with me, folks, with, with Ari. He, he looks at me, those, those deep blue eyes of his, and you green. just kind of, you're not. <sighs> I have green eyes. The guy is obviously colorblind as well. Anyway, I was going to give him a compliment here that I, I, you know, I stare at his eyes and I get lost in them because, you know, and that's the only reason why we're still together. 
No, we are comfortable in our own respective heterosexualities to be able to joke around like this. Yes, yes. We spent a lot of time in the Sports Club LA steam room together. <laughs> That's right. Not that there's anything wrong with that, right? Hey, As they used to say. I wore mine and I read the LA Times opinion page, you know, with chagrin during those periods of time. That's right. And that was me. We, we left everything to the imagination. <laughs> and boy, did our imaginations go wild. All right, moving on. God, such a distraction. It was a very Jewish thing for us to do, being in a schmitz. <laughs> okay, so here we are with this rally that we're talking about. And, and it applies, you know, everywhere, even, even in the Hamas-Israel uh, conflict, like we talked about. The, the notion that Jews could ever be oppressed is anathema to most of the non-Jewish world. Uh, in fact, many Jews themselves, uh, you know, seem to not get it. Uh, but these are very leftist Jews who, you know, we already talked about them at length. I'm not going to drill down again uh, on these idiots, these useful idiots. Um, the point is that when it comes to Jews, the world has a very strange behavior uh, to it. I, I, it's, it's always been this way. Uh, I, I get that. But when you actually see it in play, it's, you do scratch your heads. It, it, it's a very weird dynamic. And we're seeing it time and time again. It's, a school could be attacked uh, right here in L.A., uh, a Jewish school, that is. Uh, and there has been attacks. There have been attacks. There have been graffiti and everything else. And if this were exactly the same thing with a, uh, you know, God forbid, some sort of, you know, anti-black epithet on any sort of uh, black neighborhood, uh, there would be investigations, the CNN, 24-7. We know all about that. But when it's a swastika and um, vandalism on a Jewish synagogue, no big whoop. Nothing. They just don't care. And not only that, but the, the rest of the minority community, if you will, whether it's Hispanics or blacks, especially blacks, they, they, they have no interest. Nope. It's not their brothers in arms. Yeah, we are, we are supposed to stand shoulder to shoulder with our br oppressed brethren. Correct. We feel their pain too. Right. We know what they go through. But when it happens to them, we're there for them. Right. Say, of know. course. So, so, you know, gone are the days where we would say, look, we, we marched shoulder to shoulder, as Ari just said, uh, in the 60s, uh, fighting for the civil rights of blacks and helping the vote. And there's famous movies about this, right? Mississippi Burning, for example. Um, and, and people died. Jews died for the sake of uh, protecting blacks uh, to enable them to, to ensure that they have their civil rights and their voting rights and so forth. Anti-Jim Crow, all the good stuff. Um, but when, when it's the reverse, I mean, and, and now, I mean, that's, that's the old mantra. And even now, uh, many Jews were supportive of the Black Lives Matter movement, right? Uh, never mind that they're a Marxist organization. Never mind that they're useful idiots once again. Never uh, mind what they did last year, desecrating synagogues and their riots. Yeah. So never mind all that, but we supported BLM on the grounds that we are fighting racism. Okay, fine. You could say, okay, they're just naive, but their heart's in the right place, blah, blah, blah. But there's no reciprocity. In fact, Black Lives Matter has announced very formally that they are fully in support of the Palestinian cause against the Israeli oppressors, you know, quote, unquote. That's, that's, uh, that's the way they roll, BLM. They're, they're an avowed Marxist organization designed to um, undo 
Western civilization, certainly the white part of it. Uh, so, and, and therefore, anything that's associated with the white part of it, including Shakespeare and um, uh, Bach and Beethoven and, and any mm-hmm. artist that might have been white, uh, that's it. You're done. You're a poet that was white, you're out. You're, you're a scientist that was out, you're done. And so forth. Uh, so BLM you know, supports the side of destruction. That's the one thing. that There is consistency. I want you to know this, folks. When we, when we talk about hypocrisy, right, like we just talked about it now, we, we stood shoulder to shoulder with them, they don't stand shoulder to shoulder. Okay, hypocrisy. No, 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 that's not the point. You see, you're, you're, you're seeing it from a reasonable perspective, but that's not their mission. Their agenda is very different. Just like the agenda of democracies are, is very different than the agenda of dictatorships, right? We talk about this all the time. We assume that people in dictatorships want the same thing that we want, that they want to grow, they want to make money, they want the best for their families. And no, no, no. In many of these Arab countries in particular, they love death. We love life. Right. Well, let's, let's, That's very different. Hold on, hold on. Oh, so I want to talk about the one consistency that, that you can find in BLM and, 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 for that matter, what you're seeing in the anti-Israel crowd. What is the consistency? Everything is about destruction. Okay? It's about sowing chaos, but it's about destruction. And when you see it that way, everything makes sense. Okay? The BLM guys are about destruction. The anti-Israel folks are about destruction. The transgender folks are about destruction, destruction particularly about the, uh, I mean, the, the pro-transgender movement, I should say. They're about the destruction of male and female and Western civilization, right? The, uh, the, the AOCs out there are about destruction. She, by the way, of course, is also uh, now fully on board with the Palestinian cause and calls Israel an apartheid state, just parenthetically. So uh, you, you can join in, uh, Ari, and tell me about other groups that you can see that are clearly about destruction. Yeah, well, the, the analogy I, I wanted to make to get it away from Israel-Arab disputes was because you talked about um, what kind of citizens of a given country may want dictatorship or oppression. And a perfect example is the Hoodoos and the Tutsis of Rwanda, where one group wanted a dictator who would enable the slaughter of the rival group. And in that e- example, the, the religiosity of the people is the farthest thing from is, uh, Jew, Muslim, Israeli, Arab um, kind yeah, of, of disputes. So I, I thought it's very telling that the, the people in the, in the nomenclatura, in the in, the in crowd, of dictatorships want the dictatorship because they can benefit. In, in America, you see this in, in crony situations in, say, Democrat um, uh, machine-controlled cities where the rich people fund the candidates who denounce the rich because they gravy train in the, in the background while allowing the rhetoric to spew against them. Well, yes, you, okay. You know, it's, so it seems in Congress, but you see, when the game is, is played in, in front of you, like a chessboard where you can read it, you say, oh, I see how they're benefiting yes. from the... Well, it's, it's, it's a, you're talking about benefit here, but first of all, let's talk about the actual uh, modus operandi right now. I mean, the purpose is, of course, it's for benefit. People don't do things unless they perceive it to be beneficial to them, yeah, including, money, including right. idiots yeah. like AOC, right? Yes. <laughs> so... Um, 
but the other area that I can think of right now, <coughs> excuse, <coughs> excuse me, um, is the um, what's happening here in Los Angeles, the hollowing out of the middle class, right? That's a form of destruction. They're destroying the middle class. Yeah. They're getting rid of them. They're all moving to Nevada, uh, Florida, um, Texas, uh, Tennessee, for that matter. And, and you know, we, we can talk about why in a moment. I think you just kind of articulated the point because it's, it's to their advantage. It's either money or it's power. Uh, and it's the only national, uh, natural reason for it. We have the homeless situation going on. That's a form of destruction. It's destroying the civility and the notion of property rights that we otherwise, uh, you know, seem to embrace. Uh, we're destroying um, our civility as well by allowing people to um, commit crimes uh, and loot stores and, and shoplifting stores up to nine hundred and fifty dollars worth of merchandise. And no doubt, by the way, if if, if you were to if you were to steal merchandise to the tune of uh, one thousand one hundred dollars, right, which is above the nine hundred fifty. You think the police would really go after you? As long as you were the right color. Uh, yeah, uh, you and me, they'd probably arrest us and charge us with felonies for far less. Yeah, because they would know there would be no issue. There would be no rioting. There would be no claims of uh, uh, police uh, brutality or police selectivity or racism for that well, also matter. Also, would be equity, which is retribution. So it would be retribution against us white oppressors, us Jewish oppressors, for the crimes our ancestors committed in... Whatever it is. Well, or, right. or, or, you know, we'd be getting a taste of our own medicine because, That's what you know, is. Yeah. because, you know, they, they say that blacks are disproportionately arrested and disproportionately incarcerated. And therefore, it's time to reverse that uh, proportionality and uh, have some more whites uh, and more Jews, for that matter, uh, arrested and incarcerated. So, right, yeah. so see how it feels, mister. But it's all about it's about it's all about destruction. That is the main mission. This is the one thing, the one theme that you can see. And too many of us, I think, are engaged in this process of, you know, well, this doesn't make sense. Don't they realize, uh, you know, that this is hurting everyone? And, and uh, we're losing people from California, for example. Uh, people will, the property values will go down. Uh, people won't work anymore. Uh, people, uh, it, it's, it's not about that, folks. You, you have to understand it's, it's not about logic. It's not even about the economy. It's about destruction. And destruction serves a purpose. The purpose that destruction serves is to uh, aggrandize the power and to a lesser extent, believe it or not, the money associated uh, with that power. But power is, is paramount. First, you achieve the power. What's the, what's the line for Scarface? First, you get the power no, first you get the money, then you get the power, then you get the women, right? So if we were to paraphrase that, I would say something like... But we're supposed to say that together with uh, <laughs> laughing while we use the accent. So if okay, you, well, you know. go, go ahead. Okay. Ready? Well, well first, we have to, we, we, well, first we have to figure out what we want to say, right, before we say it together. But I, I would say first you, get, first, you dis, first you get the destruction. Well, no, I was going to say for those exact words, for Scarface, right, money. Ahead. Okay, first you'll get, get the, the money, money, then you'll get, get the power, then you'll you get, get the women. women. <laughs> you know, see, it makes it much better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. being a professional Yeah, for, for, for those of you who think we're making fun of the accent, they we're just making fun of Al Pacino. <laughs> right, and doing his, Tony. Yeah, Pacino. doing Tony. I mean, that's the way he, I don't know what he was doing. He, he, it's such a crazy accent that he adopted. <laughs> and it's such a good movie. <laughs> it's not a good movie. It's a oh, terrible movie. it's so movie. much fun. No. It is so much it fun. It is such a, 
It is such a cliche movie. I know, it's, it's there, there, there's there, nothing about it is authentic the at all. I'm not saying that there wasn't crime from the from the Cuban cartels and 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 drug money and everything else. Of course there was, but I am saying that it's just a laughable character. It's it, it, like there was no. I'm going to get this uh, right, drug empire. I'm going to eat this up. I'm seeing with the helicopter. That was fantastic. Yes. You know, I mean, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Okay. So I would I would change it uh, in this situation too. Uh, first, you destroy the um, the middle class, then you get the power, then you overturn the country. That's that's what I would say. Yeah, or remodel it for your own will. And you make such a great point because no matter how wealthy you are, the way America works is if you're middle class, a rich guy can't do much to you. But you know who a rich guy can do everything to? A homeless guy. Yeah. Or the welfare recipient, or the person living on the edges of eviction month to month. Yeah. Those are the people that can be controlled by the super rich. Well, what's so funny and about this is that they want to hollow out the middle class, and yet these are the same people. Well, here we go. We talk about hypocrisy again, yes. but hypocrisy doesn't matter. Uh, that they, these are the same people that decry the gap between the rich and the poor. That's it's, that's growing all the time. You know, isn't that awful? Uh, and here we are, you know, with this growing, you know, all the time problem. But but they want it to be that different, they, they, while at the same time decrying it. And and the, we used the phrase "useful idiots" before uh, in this podcast today. But it, it really is true. These people hear these phrases and don't realize how used they are. They truly believe uh, the nonsense. We talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, where. Uh, the evil never masquerades, never presents itself as evil. It always masquerades as good, always. Yeah. So, and, and the noisier they are, the more people are drawn to it because everyone wants to do the good thing, you know, and, and to be perceived as a good person. So you're good if you fight for the planet. You're good if you wear a mask and, and take the vaccine. You're you're good if you're against racism and uh, decry any sort of um, incarceration of criminals. You're good if you if you want to let um, criminals off. Yeah, you're good if you stayed, and no bail. You're good if you stayed safe at home until it became you're good when you take to the streets right. for BLM, and then you were good again when you stayed safe at home. But you were good again when you took yes, to the yes. streets. So to these are these are Biden. these are you the know? these are the okay. But that's not quite what I was saying. But the point is that they're telling you how to. How, how to be good, and that they're for the little people. Right. They're, well, that's they're the against point. the. They're good as long as you listen to that. You I, know? I, I, the problem is that you, oh, I mean, just so sorry. that you can be closer to me, if uh, for for just to make sure the mic picks you up. But the point is, the point is that they tell you what is good, what is not good. Okay, so. Uh, and what is not good is anybody who doesn't think like them. So it's always the debate is over. We know about that. You know, climate change is, is the, the debate is over, right? The COVID, everyone knows that they're right. And, uh, you know, HCQ doesn't has no effect. Uh, Trump is an evil man for even considering it. Um, and the lab uh, situation that the virus came from a lab is laughable until it's not laughable anymore. Um, so they, they tell you what is good. And the easiest way to deal with these people... I think, is to say, uh, is there anything in the conventional wisdom that you disagree with? Anything. So do you, do you question a thing, at least? And, if, and it's interesting to, to see their 
kind of eyes work, uh, and you can actually almost hear the brain work in the process because they know, intellectually at least, that they're caught, right? Because yes. if, if on the one hand they say that they agree with everything in the conventional wisdom, whether that's COVID, climate change, and so forth, transgenderism, uh, then it makes them look brainless, right? On the other, and, and who, who wants to look at that? They want to cl- proclaim themselves to be critical thinkers. Uh, so why would you just kind of agree to everything like that? On the other hand, if they do engage in, in critical thinking, not critical race theory, right? Critical thinking, if they engage in that and they say, well, wait a minute, it does seem like the proportion of blacks actually killed by police is wildly small compared to what you would expect from all these riots and all that stuff. So I, I really question whether or not, okay, well, boom, all of a sudden you're, you're no longer totally on the left. And the, the left is a very jealous monster. You, you have to be fully on board in order to be considered woke for one thing, which is always changing, by the way. But it, that, that's a big problem for them. You're caught between a rock and a hard place. If you, you, you want to be perceived as a critical thinker, but you're really not, right? And that's why, why I love doing that. That's, that's a key way to address your lefty friends. Just ask them, hey, listen, I, I want to hear everything you say, but before we do that, it just is there anything in the conventional wisdom of today, 2021, that you disagree with? Or at least that you kind of are scratching your head about? Now, my brother, he's a very bright, bright man. Uh, I think he's a very good critical thinker. Um, and to his great credit, he is able to look at the Israel situation, Hamas and Israel, and he says all this crap about um, uh, children and women and children being killed in, in Gaza. You know, he's certainly not for anyone being killed there, but the only people to blame in that situation is, is, is Hamas. They create this horrible situation, and then, and then when Israel fights back, they decry the loss of women and children. They want, they're actually antagonizing Israel. So, so my brother gets it. A very bright guy. Um, but I think that he represents a very small portion of the left. And I often think, Ari, if I were a lefty, and I, I was a Democrat, as you were too, what if I were a Democrat that was not Jewish? Would I be as pro-Israel? Would I get it in the same way that you and I get it? Uh, oh, got it. And the it, answer it went, is if I was given the modern education, yeah. if I was exposed to this modern culture, this modern media, and the modern milieu of modern Democrat non-Jews around me, absolutely not. Right. Okay. So that, that's not. my point. It's a little bit like uh, all those people who look back on the, the days of slavery, you know, in the, the first half of the um, 1800s. And they ask, uh, you just ask, well, would I be for, would, would I be fighting against slavery uh, in the throes of when slavery was, cause was such a, you know, institution, it was a, an accepted institution. Yeah, horrible yeah. as it was, but nobody right. thought, nobody used the word horrible, except for some Christians, it, of course. It was just what was, and people, from their perspective, thought, oh, they'll be this way forever. Right. It was just- yeah, it was a natural state of affairs yes. for them, for, as far as they saw it, and why would you rock that boat? Uh, and, and we would like to think that we would be different. We would be fighters against that. But the truth is, especially in the year, let's say, 1800, as, as far back as that, because there was already resilience and, and fighting in the year 1850. So in the year 1800 to 1750, the notion of slavery, I don't, you know, chances are you would not be uh, an advocate against slavery. Uh, at best, you would be neutral on the topic and you wouldn't even think about it. Um, 
And so likewise, for, for those uh, Jews on the left who are dealing with this question that I'm posing right now, if you were not Jewish and you, you're a lefty, would you be pro-Israel? And the answer is almost certainly not. Almost certainly not. The only reason why you'd be pro-Israel is because you're, you're Jewish and you do have, a, you have an understanding of the importance of Israel. You have some good sense about Israel. You know, you know the history of Israel. You know what Israel has to deal with. You know the size of Israel. You know the population of Israel. You know that Israel is a democracy. You're, you're informed. You probably had relatives who had either some connection to or suffered and died in the Holocaust. Right. All of these things are cultural things that only Jew de- Jewish Democrats have an informational advantage of. Right. So you and I had that informational advantage, and so we were pro-Israel. And we, we found ourselves saying, and I think I speak for Ari right now when I say that uh, our Democrat friends would would rant uh, about Israel and how what an oppressor it was, and and you know we would say, oh listen, I, you know I understand where you're coming from, but let me explain to you why it's cool. Yeah, Israel is a cool nation, yeah. and you should be supporting her. Right, and, just and, and we know, said growing it. Growing up in the 70s, 80s, and the they're really just 70s, 80s, because already by 1990, 91, I was already on my way out of the Democrat Party, but. And this is why I talk about the different culture. In the 70s and 80s, even as a Democrat, we never heard bad words about Israel. That's a good point. At all. Yeah, that's and a- nowadays, the, the, besides the cliche apartheid state from college campus rhetoric, Israel in the media is treated almost, and I'm talking about leftist media, MSNBC and related networks, is treated the way South Africa was circa 1985. Oh, you don't say. I mean, of course, yeah, of course it is. And I remember because there was no sense of, I mean, people were becoming more and more godless. And when, when people are godless, you know, things change uh, and not in a good way. They're always in a, in a destructive way. It always destroys. Godlessness destroys. Atheism destroys. Top that, that's the title of my book. Hey, oh, that was you. <laughs> there you go. I mean, seriously, it's, it's so funny. I just was, I realized that's the title of my book. Anyway, the point is that back in the 80s when I was at Stanford, uh, I graduated in 85. So that it was the height of the anti-apartheid movement. Okay, great. You know, apartheid, bad. Of course, of course it is. Uh, my main uh, point about it was that I found it to be a very disingenuous movement. Not that I support apartheid, I I don't. But I found it to be very disingenuous because to me it was only because it was black and white. Had it been any other two groups that were pitted against each other, and one group was saying that you couldn't drink from this water fountain and so forth, the world could not care less. Yeah, Korean or Japanese. Yeah. Which, by the way, are different races, even though they're both Asian, yeah. in, in a way. Uh, or yeah. whatever, Hittite and such a, some other tribe. Right. So that, that to me, I found to be very dis- disingenuous. Uh, nevertheless, apartheid was evil, and I'm glad that it fell apart, all the good stuff. Okay. Nevertheless, I started figuring out that one day we would be hearing that Israel is an apartheid nation. Not because there's any similarity between South African apartheid when apartheid was a thing um, and Israel at any time in Israel's history. Not, there's not the remotest similarity. But the reason why I knew it was going to happen is because the anti-apartheid movement 
was so effective. Uh, and I knew that the Arab world saw this and how effective the anti-apartheid sentiment was, that they were trying to angle a way to now characterize Israel as an apartheid nation so that the same level of world outrage could manifest. Yeah, and they did. It yeah, succeeded. and that's exactly what they've done. So now, so now you're hearing this phrasing from AOC and otherwise that Israel's an apartheid nation. And, and, and look, it's, it's, it's gotten the legs that I think they wanted. Right. And, and we, we, we end up saying, and, you know, Dennis Prager has a great PragerU video. Here's why uh, Israel's not an apartheid nation. And uh, he even got a couple of uh, black uh, leaders from South Africa to, to actually narrate it, to, to, to lend it, to give it more authenticity. And he was right to do so. But the fact that we're on the defensive about this is what, is what's so interesting about that. So, look, anti-Judaism, anti-Semitism is probably the largest weapon in world, uh, the, the leftist attempt to destroy civilization. It is the strongest manifestation, the, the strongest symptom, and I think also the strongest um, symptom of it. Yeah, and, and you make such a great point because every nation where anti-Semitism predominates as either a cultural institution that's accepted or government policy, that nation and the nations affected by it are wrecked with destruction. Yeah, and they're making it easier and easier. I think, I think one of the main goals of the left is to destroy Israel. And Israel, you know, we look back on history and we think about Hitler and what a madman he was, and he was, uh, people don't realize that the goal of Hitler was not to destroy the Jews. It was to, to destroy the book, the Ten Commandments in particular. That's what he was really going after. He felt in his crazy mind that by destroying the Jews, by killing them all, he would no longer... That, that group, that body would no longer have the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments would no longer be relevant. Right. The he wandering would, Jew who carries that book before him as a people would be gone. That's right. And, and he was intending fully, and he did uh, begin already to, to attack Christians, the devout Christians in particular. Uh, he used Christians in the beginning and, and, and played the game with Christians, but he hated Christianity, absolutely detested it. He was an atheist um, and, it's, and saw himself exactly... As, uh, as God instead of, of the real God. He never made reference to God or Jesus in the name of Jesus. I do, I, I do these killings. I mean, nobody bought that. This is the leftist claptrap to suggest so, to demonize both Judaism and Christianity, uh, but that it is a, it's, a, it's a libel, it's a, it's a slander. So anyway, the reason why I bring this up is that the left, very similar to Hitler, wants to destroy uh, Israel, not because they are supportive of the the underdog, uh, like the Palestinians, and they they their mind is uh, uh, misguided. Their propaganda, their their agenda, it's not misguided. They want to go after Israel more than any other nation in the world. Why? Because by getting rid of Israel, you get rid of a huge number of those. Troublesome people called the Jews. Troublesome, and I put in air quotes, of course, meaning that here are the people of the book. Here's a way of 
diluting the impact of the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments, well, gosh, they're, they're, they mean nothing without Israel. Or so it is in their warped mind, just like Hitler. They don't realize that they're doing exactly the same thing that Hitler hoped to do. Yeah, in a strange way, and you make this point in your book about how atheists have the most faith. Isn't it interesting how actually religious they are believing our religiosity because they're so out to destroy us to wipe out our religiosity because they see it as such a threat to them. They know the power of it. They know the power that if Israel is in Jewish hands and supports Jewish culture, it protects the seat of um, God's dominion on earth for both Christianity right. and, and Judaism. I think, look, um, I, I see what you're saying. It's, it's a, little bit, a little bit different about that. I mean, we can go into that. It's a, it's a different topic, Ari. I agree with you that the atheist has more, more faith, so to speak, than even the Jew or the Christian. But uh, not really quite where I want to go. But I do agree with you that they perceive Israel in the same way a general, uh, you know, has to take that bridge, right? Because that bridge, uh, you know, supplies all the military equipment to the enemy and they need to destroy it or to build it, as the case may be. Uh, but whatever, they have to hold on to this particular territory because it's the high ground or whatever, okay? That's the way the left sees Israel. Destroy Israel and the world, and the world is yours, yeah. okay? That is, that is how they perceive it. And this is why our theme today is for you to understand, our dear listener, about how the main mission of the left is to destroy. It's not about just getting an agenda out there and socialism and such like that. That is maybe the ultimate goal, of course. But what they want to do is they want to destroy. They want to destroy the Ten Commandments in particular. They want to do the same thing that Hitler did. Okay, not, not so much as Mao, by the way, or Stalin even. They want to destroy the book. That's all you need to know. We talk a lot about this in my YouTube channel, which I hope you check out, uh, the Atheism Kills YouTube channel. It's really good. I, I have to say, you know, Ari and I prep for these videos quite a bit, and they're really good. They're getting a lot of traction. I mean, a tremendous number of followers. I'm very proud of it. Uh, and my book, Atheism Destroys, is coming out in uh, about a month and a half, just waiting for the editor to make a final edits, and it's going to be good. You're going to love it. I'm so proud of this. I got really worried about, uh, you know, am I going to be able to top Atheism Kills? Uh, because, you know, Atheism Kills was a good book. I, it took me a long time to write. Um, but it just flowed. This Atheism Destroys book, it flowed, and it's funny. It tells anecdotes and stories. Uh, and hopefully, and I think I succeed, uh, it's very insightful. All right. Thanks so much for listening. This is Brock Lurie signing off, and we'll talk with you next week.